came across a story, and I'll start with this. There was a young man by the name of Jose. You know, I say young man, but this was a child. And Jose woke up one morning, and his mother couldn't get out of the bed. Don't know exactly what had happened, but she had a fever that was wrecking her. She couldn't function. And as a child, your parents are Superman. And when they can't get off the bed to take care of you, it's frightening. And Jose, in his fear, mommy's not responding to me. Mommy's not answering my questions. Mommy's not getting out of the bed. Mommy's not waking up. She's really, really hot. I don't know what to do. Jose runs out of his home, and he runs next door to his neighbor, Mr. Thompson. And he begins banging on the door. My mommy needs help! Yelling. Mr. Thompson hears the yelling, he hears the banging, he runs to the door, he opens it, and this young child is there. And the child, all he can say is, Mommy needs help. Mommy needs help. You got to help my mommy. And Mr. Thompson asks a question that makes sense because he needs to know what kind of help does your mommy need. Because, see, there are some specifics that Mr. Thompson needs to know so that he can recognize the steps he needs to take to actually provide the help. And there's times when we ask for help and God is asking us, I'm here to help, but what do you need? See, Mr. Thompson, if mommy is picking up something and it's too heavy for her, I just need you to come across the street and help her lift it. Mommy's making my favorite cake and we don't have any sugar. Mommy needs some help. Well, that's easy. Here's a cup of sugar. Take it back. When he asks the child, what does your mommy need? And Jose responds, I need you to take her to the hospital. That gives Mr. Thompson an inroads to know how he can really be of help in this specific instance. And in this message that we're talking about today, I believe that we need to be more specific in our prayers. I believe there's many of us who are crying out for help. God, I need help. My mama needs help. My daughter, my child needs help. God, I need help with this job. God, I need help in this area of my life. And he's saying, I hear you knocking. I hear you yelling for help. But what exactly do you need? There's an old song that we used to sing, and I used to find it funny back in the day, but as you get older, some of that stuff that was funny, you realize, uh-uh, I need some of this. And it was an old song that said, Jesus is on the main line. Anybody remember this? <laughs> Tell him what you want. And there was all these verses. If you're sick and you can't get well, tell him what you want. If your body is ill and you can't get healed. Now, I'm not convinced all these were legit verses, y'all. Look, we just made up some stuff. <laughs> Tell him what you want. And at the end of the song, it would say, call him up and tell him what you want. It didn't say yell for help. Because if you're yelling, we already know you need help. But what is it that you want him to do? I want to take you to the book of Matthew. And it's in chapter 20. 
that we find Jesus leaving out of a city called Jericho. He is heading to his final place of ministry, which is going to be Jerusalem, where he will be killed, where he will be crucified, where he will be buried. And it's about a 15-mile walk, mostly uphill. He's being followed by a large crowd of people. And it says in Matthew 20, verse 29, as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. And when they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And of course, the crowd said, be quiet. <laughs> be quiet, the crowd yelled at them, but they only shouted louder. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called and said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes and instantly they could see. Then they followed him. There are some things in this message, and it's a short scripture, but it's some powerful things in here. Do you realize that in this story, even the blind folks could see who Jesus was? Even the blind folks could see. We used to laugh. You know, we had a phrase, something would be happening to somebody that should have been blatantly obvious. And we'd be like, even Stevie Wonder knew that was about to happen to you. You know, somebody, one of your friends be in a relationship with somebody ratchet, somebody they don't have no business being with. And you're like, even Ray Charles knew that wasn't going to last. <laughs> even they saw the red flags. How, how, how did you miss all of this? And I'm convinced that sometimes God looks at us and he says, what's your excuse? If even the blind people could see who Jesus was, what's our excuse? Why don't we recognize who he is and the power that he has? And I'm convinced that sometimes our sight doesn't do us justice because we depend on it too much. As I told you at the beginning, when I first walked up here, there are times you all, and I'm just being honest, I have walked into hospital rooms after receiving phone calls and I wish I hadn't have gone. Because it's easier to pray for you from my home when I haven't seen the situation. Does that make sense? I've walked into some rooms like I knew it was bad. I knew they were in bad shape. I knew it wasn't looking good according to what the doctor said. But when I walked in and saw them, the first thing my mind said is that it's over. Because flesh has a mind of its own, too, and it'll talk to you. And sometimes as I'm reading about these men in the Bible, you realize that my eyes can get in the way of my blessing. And even though they can't see in a benefit for them, they have agreed to use their other senses to hear about who Jesus is. So obviously they've heard some stories. Obviously they've overheard about some healings. And through what they've heard, there's a level of faith that has built up in them to where it says when they heard that Jesus was passing they begin crying out. Not because they had seen a miracle. They hadn't seen Jesus do anything for anybody, but they had heard. And for somebody in this room, I need you to listen to the stories of the people around you. 
Because sometimes what you see will mess up your blessing. It will bring your faith back down. And sometimes we just need to close our eyes. Sometimes I got to ignore these things telling me. Because they'll tell me God ain't working. They'll tell me nothing's moving in the direction that he said he wanted to go in. They will tell me through vision, through sight, that what I believe to be true is nothing but a fairy tale. And sometimes I got to close my eyes. And I got to say, I can't depend on what I see. I got to depend on what I've heard about him. I've got to depend on what I felt in my own body when he's come on me. I've got to depend on what I know to be true in the miracles that I've seen in other people's lives. So these men who are blind, who hear of God and they begin. I say shout it because that's what the Bible mentions in the English translation. But if you look in the Greek translation, it's not just a shout. They are screaming. One of the definitions is to shriek. You ever had somebody shriek around you to where it's blood curdling? It hurts your ears. If somebody shriek next to you right now, it'll make you angry. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) My daughter shrieked one time. I'm telling myself, I know. When your child shrieks, it will make you drop everything. And you instantly go into, I'm going to kill whatever it is when I get there. Maybe that's just me. There is something about your child screaming a certain way that will do something to you as a parent. To where I don't care what's in the other room, it's got a problem when I get there. The issue was when I got there, it wasn't no problem. <laughs> it wasn't no issue. She playing with some toys. I was going to kill Barbie that day, all of them. <laughs> I'm throwing away every toy you got in this house. Let me help you with something. You do not yell or scream like that ever unless somebody is literally trying to kill you. Because it gets your attention in a very different way. So these men who have been blind for God knows how long they hear that Jesus is on the way and they begin shrieking at the top of their lungs to get Jesus attention. And the shrieking and the screaming is it's a crowd of people there. You know how hard it is to hear something over a crowd of folks. The crowd is telling them, shut up, be quiet. You're disturbing us. You're disturbing Jesus. And it says that they begin screaming even louder. Because I got to get his attention. Ain't it funny how sometimes folks that's already received their healing to tell you to quit worrying about stuff? (laughs) The folks who already got what Jesus had for them. The folks who are already following behind him and know exactly where they're going and what they're doing, they will try to treat you like your problem isn't as big or as big of an issue as you think it is. It's not that bad. They will gaslight you. They will make you feel like you're crazy for seeking God the way that you do, for going after him as hard as you are. And I'm here to tell you, forget the crowd. Sometimes you got to forget your own family. Sometimes the people in your own house will cause you to miss a blessing. Because they will tell you it don't take all that. 
David was dancing before the Lord and his wife told him, you as a king embarrass yourself. And he said, you think I was dancing hard today? You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till tomorrow. Because sometimes it does take all of that. Sometimes it does take coming out of the box and getting out of what's comfortable for you. Because at the end of the day, I'm the one with the problem and Jesus is the one who can fix it. So what I'm not going to let him do is pass me by. Oh, he going to hear from me today. And if y'all mad, y'all don't care. Cover your ears. Get out of the way because Jesus is going to hear my voice today. You all look. In this scripture, where even the blind are seeing what's happening, they understand, and maybe through overhearing stories, maybe they've been asking questions, but they recognize that Jesus has been known as a person of compassion. I'm going to read you a few scriptures. They're not going to be up on the screen or anything, but I I want you to recognize this word compassion because Jesus is moved through compassion to do miracles. There's Matthew 15, 32, which says, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. There's Matthew 9, 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. Matthew 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. There is Mark chapter one, a man with leprosy comes and kneels in front of Jesus, begging be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said, and moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. There is Luke chapter 7, a funeral procession is happening, and Jesus happens to be walking by. And the Bible tells us, starting in verse 11, that the young man who died was a widow's only son. And back in those days, being a widow was already hard. But your son would take on the responsibilities of your husband and make sure that you were still taken care of and that the family name would move forward. And it said when Jesus realized this and a large a large crowd from the village was with her, when he saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. And the Bible says he raised that young man back up. So it's because of his great compassion that these men are screaming. They are shrieking. They are crying out, have mercy on us. Have compassion on me. Because I've heard that your compassionate heart can't walk past me if I present myself in a way that you see I'm broken. You see that I'm hurt. You see that I have no other option but you. And this is why the Bible tells us that a broken heart, a contrite spirit, God will not ignore. Knowing that he's a compassionate God, knowing that many of his miracles have come out of a compassionate heart. I want to encourage you, because we know how he tends to be, to go ahead and shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Why not? Why wouldn't I? We have a phrase in my family, we believe that no is immaterial. You tell me no, I really don't care, because I didn't have it anyway. Whatever I ask for, if you tell me no. I already didn't have it, so I've lost nothing. But what if you say yes? What if a door opens that wouldn't have opened any other way except I asked? What if, what if some of our prayers are not being answered because we refuse 
to pray them. Because we think that's too crazy. We think that's too big. We think we don't deserve that. We don't know if God would do it for this person. And I'm encouraging you to shoot your shot. Now, I'm not talking about sliding into folks' DMs. Because <laughs> that's typically what we talk about. Bro, you need to go ahead and shoot your shot. Okay, let me slide a little DM over there. Let me send this little Snapchat real quick and see what happens. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there is a person called the great one in hockey. His name was Wayne Gretzky. Greatest scorer on the hockey ice of all time. And they asked him about his mentality on the ice. These shots that you're making, some of these shots you're even taking. Like, why would you even take that shot? This is the mindset of a great one. I will miss 100% of every shot I don't take. I want you to think about that for a second. I eliminate the possibility of being successful every time I don't take the shot. I guarantee you it won't go in if I never shoot it. Now, how many times was his shots blocked over the course of his career? Thousands. But how many times did it go in? And he said, I'm never worried about it not going in because I know if I don't take the shot, it never has the opportunity and somebody in this building needs to understand that you need to shoot the shot. You need to bring it to God. Does it guarantee a yes every time? No. Sometimes it's an absolutely not because God knows the answer to that prayer would kill your marriage six years from now. Sometimes it's a no because God in his providence and in his mind knows that that thing would wipe your bank account out six months from now. And sometimes he says no, and it doesn't mean no, not ever. It means not yet. I got to get you ready first. I got to prepare you. Your character ain't where it need to be to stay in that room. Oh, you got the skills. Oh, you know the right people. But if I put you in that room, you still lie a little bit. Oh, in that room, you, you still struggling in some areas that that room would expose and would wipe out everything that I want to do through you. But sometimes you pray that prayer and God says, I've been waiting on you to ask. Oh, I've been waiting on you to ask that. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and somebody was on your mind to pray for? You got to pray. You better shoot that shot because God is prompting you to pray for something because he wants to do something for them. It might be a life and death decision right there in that moment. They might be about to go into a head on collision because they fell asleep behind the wheel. And God will wake you up, Grandma Nancy, and say, I need you to pray for this person right now. Yeah. And through your prayers. Through the working of our lips, through asking specifically for what we believe he wants to do, it unleashes God's will in that space. Church, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about a God who has compassion on us. These men who were shrieking and screaming, can I tell you something? If they didn't shoot their shot, Jesus never came this way again. This was their one time. Hey, how would you pray if you knew you had one shot? I feel like I'm up here with Evangelist Eminem right now. You got one shot. 
Don't miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. You got one shot. How, what would your prayer life be if you knew I only got this one opportunity? Jesus is in the room. This is the only chance I've got. I know he's got all power in his hands. And if I don't get his attention right now, this may never happen. You wouldn't care who was around you. You would be like the woman with the issue of blood and push your way through the crowd. You would be like Zacchaeus outside climbing trees as a grown man. Am I lying? You'll do stuff that other folks will say makes zero sense whatsoever because you believe this is my one opportunity and I can't let Jesus pass me by. And what I love about these men is that they seem to understand now is my chance. This is my season. We've been praying for Jesus to happen to come through this area. Jesus' ministry spanned the course of three years. I don't know how long these men was here waiting for this opportunity. And it says in Matthew 20, 32, when Jesus heard them, he stopped and called and said, what do you want me to do for you? I can't think of a better question for Jesus to ask. Can you imagine being at the feet of Jesus and he says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What is it that you need from me? How can I help you today? I know you need help. You've been persistent. You've been calling for me. You've been praying that I come down and show you mercy. Now that I'm here, what do you want me to do for you? And those men didn't miss a beat. They told him and what we have to do is tell him exactly what you need. Tell him exactly what you need. Understand this, like their persistence was great, but it wasn't enough. Their faith, we know they had faith or they wouldn't have been screaming the way they were. They wouldn't have made the scene the way they did unless they really believed in their heart. This man can heal us. But their faith wasn't enough in this story. They're crying out for mercy. Have mercy on us. Be compassionate. And that still didn't get them healed. In this story, they had to tell Jesus exactly what they wanted him to do for them. And their brothers, when they got asked that question, we want to see. Because, see, I got a lot of problems. I've been sitting by this road for a long time. I'm dirty. My shoes is jacked up. I can't go anywhere unless somebody else takes me. I can't work. I'm useless to my family. I can't have a wife. All these things go out the window, and they could have asked for any of those. But instead, they prayed for the one thing that would have solved everything else as well. Because, Jesus, if you've given me my sight, if you open my eyes, I just want to see. And it said that when they made their request specific, that Jesus had compassion on them. And you know what happens when Jesus has compassion on you. When Jesus' heart is moved for you, he tends to want to walk up and not just talk to the situation, but he want to put his hands on it. And there's something powerful about the touch of Jesus when he walks into your situation and he puts his hands on it. See, there's power in his hands. 
He has the power to heal your situation. He has the power to change your life. He has the power to bring your marriage back from the brink of death. He has the power to bring people back from death. He has power so that when he touched the son of the widow woman, the boy got up. Because there's power in his touch. When the man with leprosy said, I just want you to heal me. And it said Jesus felt compassion. Do you realize that touching someone leprous, we're not supposed to do that. But Jesus is compassionate enough to break all of the rules for you. He would touch stuff that other people would say they never put their hands on. And Jesus said, that's okay, you're not me. Let me go touch it. That's why I called them and you didn't. Let me touch it. That's why I'm God and you're not. Let me touch it. And if you're in this room today and your life needs a touch, I'm introducing to you and reminding some of you of who Jesus is. Tell him specifically what it is that you want and let him touch it. It's not our strength, it's his. It's not our touch, it's his. Even when you do have the blessing of laying hands on someone and they are healed, it's really not your hands, it's his. There's another song, and I don't know, maybe I'm on a music kick all this week. And it's the biggest lie and untruth the church ever want to sing. And some of you may have sung this song. I played this song, and that song says, Any way you bless me, Lord, I'll be satisfied. Lie. Lie. If we was on Maury, he'd be like, the lie detector test determined that was a lie. <laughs> that ain't true. That ain't true nowhere. Let me tell you why it ain't true. If you're laying in your sick bed with cancer and God bless you with a brand new car, you ain't satisfied. Any way you bless me, Lord, I'll be satisfied. No, I ain't satisfied with that. If I'm about to lose my home, my family's about to be homeless, I don't have a job or a dime to my name, God blessing me with a brand new car doesn't mean much when I can't afford to put gas in it. But any way you bless me, Lord, I no, you lying. No, I don't want an any way you bless me blessing. If I'm laying on my sick bed, I want you to heal me. If I don't have no money in the bank and I'm about to lose my house, I need you to run me some funds, Jesus. <laughs> Any way you bless me? No, no. If I'm by the side of the road and I haven't seen for a majority of my life, I'm not asking Jesus to bless me any kind of way. You've got all power and authority in your hands. You are not limited by anything in this world or outside of it. So why in the world would I come to you and say, any way you bless me, Jesus, I'll take it. <laughs> Our kids don't do that to us. I wish they did. <laughs> oh, daddy, any way you bless me, I'll be satisfied. The devil is a liar. That ain't never happened. My child, my other cousins, other kids here, they are specific. Christmas time, here's my list. Here's my list. Santa Claus gets a list. And for those of us that know that Santa Claus ain't who they think he is, that list is ours. 
and them folks be checking stuff on Christmas Day, they pull the list out and they be like, number one, two, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. I don't see number three. No, 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 daddy, Santa didn't bring what he said. You counting? Why? Because when I ask for something and it doesn't show up, I know that there's something missing because I'm keeping track. How do you know a prayer's been answered if you didn't ask something specific? How do you know that God is who he says he is if we don't specifically ask for something and see if we get it? We don't specifically ask for a certain type of healing and see if he does it. I'm challenging your faith. I want you to be like little children, which is what Jesus said we should all be like. You should be bringing God your list because he's much better at this than Santa Claus will ever be. And you should bring him your list and say, God, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for this. I'm praying specifically for this. God, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to ask you again. And you know why we should ask again and again? And again, and again, and we don't, some of us, well, I don't want to get on God's nerves. No, get on his nerves. Get on his last nerves. You should bring it up to him so much that he says, I got to hurry up and bring this about, because if she prayed this to me one more time. I'm serious. The Bible says that we should knock and keep knocking. That's the actual translation. Knock and continue to knock. Seek and continue seeking. Ask and continue asking. Jesus told a parable about a man that needed some loaves of bread in the middle of the night for a family member that had showed up and he went to his friend's home and was knocking on the door. And the brother said, he called out like, hey, who is it? Hey, it's your boy. I need some bread. Brother, we sleep. I'm not getting up. But I got family in town and I don't have nothing. Yeah, well, you know what? Y'all go to Burger King. Y'all go to McDonald's. You order a DoorDash, whatever that is. But I'm not coming outside. And the Bible said, okay, for the sake of friendship, he might not get up. But stand at that door and knock long enough. It said, be shameless in your knocking. Shameless? Where I'm just, I know you said you sleep, but I ain't going nowhere. You're going to give me some bread tonight. Hey. These folks is at my house. We ain't got no food. 7-Eleven is closed. I can't get nothing. No, you getting up. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. And the knocking is going to irritate other folks. And other lights around that house are going to start turning on. And people are going to be looking out. Go to bed. Who's out there making all that noise? Hey, as soon as he opened this door, I quit knocking. But until he get up, keep knocking. And the Bible says that not for friendship, but simply because you get on his last nerves. That man will get out of his bed. He will grab some bread. Now, I ain't going to tell you he's going to hand it to you the way you want it to be handed to you. <laughs> you might have to go find He might open that door. Go get, 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 take this bread. You might have to go find them loaves. But he says that if you continue knocking and don't give up, that you can have things that you otherwise wouldn't have. I hope I'm speaking to somebody in this room today. That maybe you've been on the verge of quitting. You've been on the verge of giving up. You've been on the verge of, I don't even want to pray for this anymore because I feel like God doesn't care. And I'm here to tell you, God says, keep asking. Keep knocking. 
And don't just ask once. Continue to ask over and over. Now, here's what I love at the end of this story. These brothers, they show some persistence. They had incredible faith. They would do anything necessary to get God's attention. And for some of us, maybe that's fasting. I had a moment in time, lost everything, including my job. And by everything, I mean everything. My house, car, had to start over, over. Grown man, moved back in with my grandparents. No income, don't even know what to do with my life, and I needed a job. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get a job, which made zero sense. I ain't never had a problem getting a job, not ever. I get jobs like this, like this is how we get down, Jesus, you know, but where are you at? A week went by, two weeks, three weeks, a month. Now look, y'all, the Bible say a man that don't work don't eat. And uh, I like to, uh, <laughs> look, I ain't trying to be hungry. And I told God, I remember to this day, I was broken, I was humiliated, I was hurt, I was tired. And I told God, you know what? Since I ain't supposed to eat unless I'm working, okay, let's do this. I'm going on a fast right now and I'm not going to eat another piece of food until you give me a job. Now, can I be honest with y'all? In that emotional moment, that seemed like a great idea. Let's challenge God. <laughs> you, ever, you ever do something when you was emotional and you make a decision and then like 15 minutes later, you be like, oh, <laughs> you already hungry. Why would you do that? <laughs> like, I told God, until you give me a job, I will, not, I, I will drink liquids. I'm on a liquid-only diet. So when I fade away, Jesus, everybody would know it's your fault. This is how I pray, y'all. I'm sorry. This is just how we do. Sounded good. Day three went by. Everybody else in the house still eating. They still cooking, you know. You going to eat something? <laughs> no. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> if Jesus hurry up and give me this job, I can eat some of that. Day six. <laughs> Day nine. Day nine. You know what was funny about that fast? Somewhere around day six, I stopped caring about food. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I was so focused on Jesus and what I needed him to do that a lot of this other stuff that had been so important stopped mattering. I spent more time in prayer because I was tired. <laughs> I spent more time talking to him, engaging with him, asking what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do this? Where do you want me to put resumes in today? How do you want this to work? I was in conversation with him regularly. By day eight, I feel pretty good. Why do I feel stronger now than I did when I started? Because there's something about being in it with Jesus. It wasn't until day 11, I received a phone call. Y'all, you, you ever get to the place with job search that you just start applying for anything? I got degrees, I got certifications, I got all type of stuff. I'm like, y'all need a janitor, I will clean something. I applied for a warehouse job. I will drive a forklift, ain't never drove a forklift. <laughs> but I will learn today. 
I was applying for anything. And I got a phone call from the people, and they were like, we see that you applied for this forklift position. And I'm like, yes, please, just let me drive a forklift. And they were like, but you're overqualified. I don't even understand why you would apply for this. But we've got another position. And you know what I mean? You know, you had that moment where your heart dropped. And then they hit you, we got another position. You're like, huh? Wait, what, huh? We got another spot that we feel would be a much better fit for you. And I watched God open a door that made zero sense for him to open. And I saw what happens when you keep knocking and you keep asking. And when you're willing to do whatever it takes to get his attention. It's like, Jesus, if I'm emaciated completely, you will have known that I was willing to do this for you because you've got the power to fix it. And sometimes God just wants to know what's more important. Are you willing to make a fool of yourself? Are you willing to shriek at the top of your lungs? Are you willing to run a lap around this room? Are you willing to be the idiot in the hospital calling out for this presence of God to show up in room 117 to save the life of a little girl? Are you willing to be that person that will be specific in prayer, knowing that I'm so specific in this prayer that if he doesn't do it, people in this room may doubt him? But shoot your shot. Because you can be so specific in your prayer that when he answers it, everybody in the room can't doubt him. We know that you prayed specifically for this. This is why Jesus, when he went to raise Lazarus, looked up to heaven and said, Father, I know you hear me always, but I speak to you audibly so that they can believe. Sometimes the specific prayer that comes out of your mouth in the presence of unbelievers is exactly what it takes for the rest of the crowd to really believe. These two men who prayed this prayer and told Jesus, I just want to see. It says when they received their healing, they immediately got up and followed Jesus. Oh, I'm going where you go. You know how long I've been sitting here? You know how long I've been in that? You know how long I've been praying for somebody to get me out of this situation? And you did it? Oh, wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever you need from me, however I can help, however I can serve. Church, if you are in this room today, and I want to invite those on the prayer team to just come down and be available. I have two altar calls for you. One of them is in the front of this room and one of them is in the back. This altar call for those of you who are in need of a blessing, you are in need of a miracle, you are in need of Jesus to stop walking by and to pay you some attention and to touch your situation. If that is you, after I dismiss, I want you to come down to these altars and I want you to have someone touch and agree with you. We are going to stand on the word of God that says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. He says that if you touch and agree with someone on anything in my name, I will do it. We want you to come down and put the word of God to the test. If you are like these two brothers in this story, and you know that God has already done something miraculous for you, he's already healed you, he has made you whole, and these two men in their newfound wholeness said, I will now follow Jesus and I will be a servant of his. 
And if that's you, at the end of this service, I need you to go to these tables in the back and to put your name down on where you are now going to serve. Understand this. In the kingdom of heaven, there are people who need healing and people who have received healing. And the Bible tells us that the harvest is right, but the laborers are few. It's not a harvest issue. There's plenty of people that need to know Jesus and are open to it, but we need more people to help us do that. So if you've received from him, if you know that he has blessed you, if you know he has made you whole in any area of your life, I am challenging you, put your name down and let's start serving so that we can bring that type of recognition to the lives of someone else. But if you still need healing, you come down to this front and let's pray that God provides you exactly what you need. We are praying specific prayers today. We are not going to give him vague, oh, God, anything you want to do for me. No, you tell him exactly what it is that you want, just like these men did. If you are blind in this room, tell him that you want to see. If you got diabetes and you don't want it anymore, tell him to take it away. If you know high blood pressure is an issue, tell him, God, bring my high blood pressure down, God, and I believe that you can do that. If you know someone who is dying today and you believe God can turn that around, you need to ask him specifically for that person by name. Can we pray impossible prayers today, church? 